LeBron James may not be the king of rock, but he does wear the crown. And the Los Angeles Lakers return to the Western Conference Finals for the first time in 10 years, led by the king himself, LeBron James, as he seeks his fourth NBA championship with the hopes of returning to his throne. With that, we say welcome to Uptempo Sports 24-7 with your host, your guy, Coach P. Let's dev and dive into this series that really was not a series. We thought that the Rockets, when they won the opening game, may make this interesting. But as we found out in game five, the Rockets were ready to go fishing. They had already packed their bags, folks. They were ready to go home. And LeBron made sure that their bags stayed packed and he sent them home. As LeBron James comes out the gate hot, real early, 29 points. The Lakers, they were never threatened in this game. They led by 23 points at one point and LeBron's co-star, Anthony Davis, had not even scored a bucket. Anthony Davis finishes with 13 points. Kyle Kuzman is your second leading scorer on that run, 17 points. Danny Green, yes, that is right, folks. Danny Green reemerged in these playoffs. He hit three threes in this game, and he ends up with 14 points, and they got major contributions off the bench from Markeith Morris, again, 16 points. But let's go back and talk about LeBron James. LeBron, his first appearance in the Western Conference Finals wearing the purple and gold. LeBron trying to get that fourth championship. Folks, the Lakers are on a mission. LeBron is on a mission. We saw the return of playoff Rondo. They didn't need him in this game. Like I said before, Houston checked out. James Harden did finish with 30 points. Russell Westbrook, 10 That tells you the whole story right there. 40 points between your two stars for the Houston Rockets. 40. That tells you all you need to know about why this game was such a disparity in the score and why the Houston Rockets are on their way back home. They never showed up. And they were right there on the premises. They never showed up for this game, folks. The Lakers came out. They shot 65% in the first half. Like I told you, AD didn't score a basket, and they were already up 23 points at one point. The Lakers are headed to the Western Conference Finals. We don't know who their opponent's going to be yet because the Clippers and the Nuggets will take us to another Game 7 in the bubble. This series, we thought, would have been over. But the Clippers, for whatever reason, folks, keep letting the Nuggets hang around. They blew a 15-point lead. In game number five, they come back in game number six and they blow a 19-point lead. So there, we'll have a game seven tonight in the bubble. In this game, again, the Joker for the Nuggets, 34 points, 14 rebounds. The Clippers have no answer for Jokic, none. Jamal Murray starting to find his shooting touch. 21 points. They also got 16 points from Gary Harris and 13 points from Michael Porter Jr. But it's the tenacity of the Denver Nuggets, folks, is why this series is still being played out. This series probably should have been over, at least in five. We're going to a game seven. And you know, as they say, anything can happen in a game seven. So you would think that the Clippers would still be favored. But folks, 15-point lead, 19-point lead. It leaves you throwing your hands in the air to ask, ask yourself, do the Clippers really want this as bad as they say they do? We know the history of Doc Rivers with the Clippers is not very favorable. He has not gotten to a finals with the Clippers. The Clippers, their history, they've never made it to a finals in their history. So it looks like the deck, looks like the deck may be stacked against the Clippers. 
But going into this game seven, you would have to think that they're going to get major contributions. Of course, Kawhi has been the brightest star for the Clippers throughout this playoffs. He has been the glue that has kept this team together. They have gotten up and down performances from Paul George. You have not seen Sweet Lou Williams. Montrezl Harrell has been inconsistent. You don't know what you're going to get from those secondary players, folks. They need Paul George to be the star that he's supposed to be. You know what you're going to get with Kawhi. And you would like to see the two reigning six men, last year's six man of the year, Lou Williams, and the current six man of the year, Montrezl Harrell. You would like to see them step up and show out tonight. They're going to need all hands on deck because this young Denver Nuggets team is not going down without a fight. They are not afraid of the Clippers. They are not afraid of the moment. And being behind seems to be their motivation to play that much better. So I'm going to tell you right now, if the Clippers get out early, they better put their foot on the accelerator and keep it going. Because if they give any life to the Nuggets, they're going to find themselves on the other side of history. Because the Nuggets tonight, if they win would be the first team in NBA history to come back in two playoff rounds after being down three games to one to win that series. So history is on the line tonight for the Denver Nuggets. History is on the line tonight also for the LA Clippers because once again, they have never been to a Western Conference Finals. So we have two Interesting viewpoints that we're going to be talking about after this game. But we have the game seven tonight, and we also get game one tonight of the Eastern Conference Finals, where we will find the Miami Heat going against the Boston Celtics. This should be a very interesting series, folks. You have two of the best young coaches in all of basketball. Brad Stevens for the Celtics, Eric Spolstra for the Miami Heat. We know Eric Spolstra already has two NBA championships on his resume. We know that Miami is built on the backs of their defense. Boston is is as well, but we also know that Boston has major firepower coming into this series. Jason Tatum has been a rising superstar <clears throat> since the beginning of these playoffs. Kimber Walker has not been the Kimber that we're used to seeing, but you've got to believe that he's going to break out of that shooting slump and be the Kimber Walker that we're used to seeing, the Yukon Kimber Walker that we all know and love. You've got to believe that he's going to show up and show out at some point during this playoff run. But they have not really needed, needed his services as much because Marcus Smart has been the catalyst for the Boston Celtics, folks. And then we have news out of Boston's camp that there's potential that Mr. Haywood may be available at some point during this series. So then they get another score, another rebounder, and somebody with size to help counter what the Heat will bring defensively. This should be one really good series. I'm a Miami Heat fan. I haven't really been all in on Miami because, you know, since the my guy left, LeBron gone to L.A., and then my other guy, D-Wade, retired, you know, it's been a rebuilding process down in Miami. But I, I've always been a fan of Coach uh, Eric Spostra, and with now with them having Jimmy, Jimmy Butler and him putting this team on his back, it's going to be interesting to see what the Heat can do in this series. I think it's going to go at least six. I'm going to be rooting for Miami, of course, but I'm not going to be surprised if Boston wins this series, folks. They just have so much offensive firepower. They also are one of the best defensive teams in the NBA as well. But this should be a very tough series, and it's going to put two of the best minds of the game pitted against each other. So that's what you have going on. In the Eastern Conference, we've already told you about the Western Conference. We also want to give you some coaching news as well. Mike D'Antoni 
is out in Houston. We only had one year left on his contract. There was speculation that if he didn't, if they didn't get very far in the playoffs, that they would not renew his contract. It sounds like that Mike D'Antoni, from what we're hearing, is the one that says that he is not returning. I don't know if that was management already letting him know or this was Mike D'Antoni letting management know he had no intentions of returning. I'm going to tell you right now, folks, Mike D'Antoni is one of the great minds offensively in the NBA as a coach. I just have never believed that he could ever win a championship because you have to be able to play defense at some point. You can't outscore everybody once you get to the playoffs. The small ball that they were using was effective before you get to the playoffs. When you get to the playoffs and you have matchups, and the matchup was a bad matchup for the Rockets against the Lakers because the Lakers have two of the best players at their positions in all the basketball, Anthony Davis and LeBron James. And no matter how much you want to push the ball and try to run the Lakers, the Lakers found a way to slow down the tempo. They found a way to get it back in their favor, and they used their version of small ball as well. They slid Anthony Davis over to the five. LeBron became the four. And then they changed the lineup a little bit on the Rockets. They didn't play JaVale McGee as much. And Dwight Howard didn't play at all until this last game where he played the last three minutes of the game. That's because L.A. was up big. So there that tells you what you need to know in regards to coaching. Do I think that Mike D'Antoni will get another job if he wants to coach in the NBA? Absolutely. I think the teams like the 76ers, who have problems with their offense, could use somebody with an offensive mind such as his. The Indiana Pacers, who need help with their offense, they could use a mind like his. But still, you're still going to need to have somebody, whether it's D'Antoni or if he brings in an, assist, an assistant, somebody's going to have to emphasize defense, folks, because like I said, it's all – it's all fun. It's all fun at the park during the regular season, scoring all these points. But once you get to the playoffs, you have to be able to limit the possessions that the other team is getting and you have to be able to make a stop at crucial points of the game. That's where Dan Tony fails as a coach. And if he wants to be successful and if he wants to ever get a ring, these are things that he's going to have to add to his repertoire in his next coaching gig. So we're going to see what happens with that. We're hearing rumors that the Rockets may be looking at Sam Cassell. Remember, Sam Cassell did play for the Rockets during his playing career. They may be looking at assistant coach Sam Cassell from the Clippers as a replacement for Mike D'Antoni. But we'll keep an eye on that as we continue with these playoffs and after this playoff series is over. Folks, we're going to dive into, of course, the National Football League. We got football this weekend, folks. I don't know about you, but just the idea of having football back was was just great. All the games weren't great, but it was football. And we didn't even think we were going to have football when this global pandemic hit us back in March. So we're talking about NFL football week number one. We're going to come back and give you a review of what happened this past weekend. We're also going to give you some football news. Again, the NFL is out here printing money, folks. People are out here getting that bag. We're going to take a small commercial break, and then we're going to return. This is Coach P at Uptempo Sports 24-7. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Uptempo Sports 24-7, folks. And yes, money, money, money. 
the NFL folks, I told you they have their own printing machine because they keep passing out money. I'm just trying to figure out where I can get in line at so I can get paid as well. We're going to talk about the new money that was received by Alvin Kamara. About a week and a half ago, they had rumors out there from the New Orleans Saints talking about possibly trying to trade one Alvin Kamara. Today, we found out Alvin Kamara, right before kickoff, signs a five-year, $75 million extension. $34.33 million guaranteed, folks. You go from potentially being traded to being locked into a five-year contract, guaranteed money of almost $35 million. Christmas came early for Alvin Kamara and his family. Congratulations. Not only did he get paid, Dalvin Cook, the stud running back for the Minnesota Vikings, he's locked into a five-year deal, $63 million, $28 million guaranteed. So all that we've been hearing in the past over the last few years about the devalue of the running back, We've seen Ezekiel Elliott get paid for Dallas last year. We saw Christian McCaffrey outpace Zeke. Christian McCaffrey now the leading go-getter, I should say the leading pay-getter in the NFL, averaging about $16 million a year. Alvin Kamara and Zeke, their average is about $15 million a year. Now you have Dalvin Cook. So that whole premise that the running back was being devalued, that his importance was no longer needed, I think we're seeing a resurgence of the running backs. Teams now know that no matter how well you may do in the passing game and with the rules being set up for quarterbacks to be successful in the passing game, if you don't have that guy in the backfield that the defense has to respect, and can be a threat, not only running the ball, but as a receiver coming out the backfield, you and your offense becomes one-dimensional, and you now give the leverage to the defense, and the defensive coordinators in the NFL don't need much of an advantage to take advantage of your offense. So that's why we're seeing these running backs getting paid, and they should get paid, because we still need running backs in the NFL to be the bell cows. It's been proven. It's just a matter of who you pay, and you just make sure you pay the right guy. It's just like paying the quarterback. We keep wanting to talk about you got to pay your quarterback when the quarterback's available. Folks, if the quarterback is not the right quarterback, you don't pay him. You franchise him. And that's why these teams get caught with their hands in a cookie jar because they want to lock these quarterbacks up, but then they get the wrong quarterback, and then they're burnt. And they have nothing to fall back on because they're locked in. Once they pay the quarterback all this money, they don't have any money for anybody else. But hey, Sunday came, Monday came, and we had a slate of football games. Welcome to 2020 NFL. And with that, let's give you a breakdown of what happened in this week in the NFL. Sunday, week one in the NFL, in Atlanta, we saw Russell Wilson and that Seattle offense have the handcuffs taken off and Russell Wilson opened up Pandora's box and threw three first-half touchdowns, and Seattle's offense looked totally different from what we've seen for Pete Carroll's offense in the past. And Seattle, they may have changed my mind about my pick in the NFC West because they look like a front-runner right now. It's only week one, so I still have an opportunity to wait another week before I decide to change my picks. But out the gate, the Seahawks get a big win down in Atlanta. Buffalo. We told you, we knew Buffalo was going to probably be the cream of the crop in the AFC East. They didn't disappoint. The Jets are horrible. Let's just, let's just preface that. The Jets are horrible. If Adam Gase makes it to at least five games, I'll be shocked. Le'Veon Bell injured in this game. I think it was his hamstring, so he's going to be out. Buffalo rode the Jets to go 1-0. Detroit 
and Chicago. You had the return of Matthew Stafford as the quarterback in Detroit. You had Mitchell Trubisky retaining his job in Chicago by default. Nevertheless, Detroit had an opportunity to put this game away early and late. Once again, they found a way to give a game away. Is that on Matthew Stafford or is that on the coaching staff led by Matt Patricia? I'm going to say it's the coaching staff. You know, it's funny how people get jobs in the NFL. We talk about this all the time by reputation. Matt Patricia, his reputation was that he was supposed to be this premier defensive guru. Remember, he was under the tutelage of one of the greatest coaches that we've seen in NFL history, Coach Belichick. How great was he really? Because in his, I think he's been in Detroit, this is his fifth year. They've been horrible. His defenses have been horrible. And why he still has a job, I have no idea. He should have been fired two years ago. I think he should be on the hot seat at least by week number four. They should be thinking about replacing him, if not replacing him right now. There was no reason why Detroit shouldn't have won this game. But they found every way to give it away. And Chicago, led by Mitchell Trubisky's three second-half touchdowns, come back and steal this game at the end. So the Bears, in a big division game, get a big win on Sunday. Speaking of division games, you had the Green Bay Packers going to the Minnesota Vikings. I said that if Minnesota was going to beat Green Bay, this would have to be the time that they do it. They're at home. Although there were no fans, but they were still at home and they needed to be encouraged while being at home against Aaron Rodgers. You knew Aaron Rodgers was coming into this game with a chip on his shoulder. All the offseason questioning about if Green Bay really still wants him. All the questioning about is Jordan Love at some point going to take over for him. Well, part of that got put to rest when we found out that Jordan Love wasn't even going to be the backup coming into this game he's a third string quarterback and I think Aaron Rodgers put to rest the fact that he still got life in that arm and he is still the guy until further notice in Green Bay the Packers lit up Minnesota's young secondary Aaron Rodgers four touchdown passes Devontae Adams monster you know that he is a monster and you still can't stop him Aaron Jones Quality yards on the ground. Green Bay, don't look at the score, folks. They blew the top off of this. I know it was 75-point score between the two teams, but Green Bay dominated this game. Late touchdowns by Kirk Cousins, but this was all Green Bay all day long. The Packers want to know in the division. And then we go to New England, where we had the debut of Cam. Whoa, Cam. That's right, Cam Newton starting quarterback for the New England Patriots, playing against Ryan Fitzpatrick and the Miami Dolphins. Remember, the Dolphins are the ones that came back last game of the year to bump the Patriots off of their perch. And instead of having the home field advantage and a bye, they had to play in the first round of the playoffs and got beat by Tennessee and Derrick Henry. Well, New England got a little bit of revenge today as Cam Newton came out 15 carries, 75 yards, two touchdowns. Not bad for a quarterback. But you don't want your quarterback to be your leading rusher, folks. That spells trouble in my eyes for Cam. That is what happened to him in Carolina when he was running the ball instead of throwing the ball. And because New England does not have the receivers in order to push the ball downfield, I'm just afraid that Cam is going to do a lot more running this season, and that may be problematic from a health standpoint. But New England gets a win at home in Cam's debut. Congratulations. Another division game. This one in the NFC between the Philadelphia Eagles and the Washington football team, folks. That's right, the Washington football team. Philly coming into this game, beat up. 
Offensive line in disarray. Receiving core, banged up. Leading rusher from last year, Miles Sanders, out with a hamstring injury. What are you getting from the Washington football team? They released one Adrian Peterson. And I let me piggyback real quick. Forgot to mention to give AP his props. AP got picked up by Detroit. We told you about that a couple of days ago. In his home debut in Detroit, AP led the Detroit Lions in rushing with 93 yards. That's what the Washington football team gave away when they released AP. AP still showing you he can still do it at 35 years old. He got 93 yards rushing on Sunday. We go back to that Washington-Philadelphia game. Washington down early to the Eagles, 17-0. What happened in the second half, folks? That offensive line imploded. Carson Wentz running for his life. Why is Coach Doug Peterson having him drop back 41 times, folks? That's ridiculous. Your quarterback's running for his life. Your offensive line is getting beat up by that defensive front of the, of the Washington football team, led by their number two pick and what looks like all-world young defensive tackle slash defensive end Chase Young. And to their credit, Washington comes back and wins this game. I don't think anybody believed that once they were down 17-0 that they had an opportunity. But it seems like that Philly played right into their hands. They didn't try to run the ball. Carson Wentz had a couple of bad interceptions, a couple of bad, uh, almost a, a terrible fumble. And... Where there's a will, there's a way. Coach Ron Rivera, home game, first game, head coach of the Washington football team, gets a big win. We leave there and we go down to Carolina. Carolina hosting the Las Vegas Raiders. That's right, folks. They're no longer the Oakland Raiders. They are the Las Vegas Raiders. They came into Carolina where they were facing the new Regime in Carolina, led by one Teddy Bridgewater at quarterback for the Panthers. The Panthers had an opportunity in this game to to actually win this game, potentially win this game. Fourth and inches, folks, with a little under a minute to go in the game. You, me, everybody in their household watching this game, since there were no fans in the stands, knew Who should have been getting the football? Christian McCaffrey. New head coach Matt Rule decides he wants to do a little trickery and on four foot inches wants to give the ball to the up back, the full back. For no gain. As a matter of fact, he lost a yard and they lost the game. Folks, you put the ball in the hands of your playmakers. Put the ball in the hands of your best players. It's not rocket science. It's, it's not. You're not trying to do a magic trick and you're trying to fool people. Just give the ball to the best player and let him make a play. There is no reason why Christian McCaffrey should not have had the ball in his hands in that moment. And that is why Carolina is 0-1. Derek Carr had a nice game. And it doesn't appear to me that Josh Jacobs is going to have a sophomore slump because he came out the blocks fast and furious and he almost had 100 yards rushing a day. I think he rushed for 93 yards. So the Raiders go south and get a big win on the road. Then we go down to Jacksonville, where the Indianapolis Colts, now being led by one Phillip Rivers, went into Jacksonville to a team that looked like they were on the verge of being an expansion team again as they've gotten rid of everybody. But the one person that they still have is second-year quarterback, Gardner Minshew. Gardner Minshew, folks, 19 for 20 in this game. Little little Gardner Minshew magic here, folks. The Jacksonville Jaguars upset the Indianapolis Colts. Phillip Rivers in his debut on the road. We're still back to that old Phillip Rivers from last year, turning the ball over at critical times. Two key interceptions late in this game, folks, is the demise of the Colts. 
The Colts also lost the services of their running back, one Marlon Mack, torn ACL. He will be out for the season. But Jacksonville gets a big win at home to start week number one. We go to Baltimore, where the Baltimore Ravens were hosting their conference rivals, the Cleveland Browns. Is this the year for Cleveland? Is this the year that Baker Mayfield matures and he's ready to be the starting quarterback and also the leader of this team? Well, folks, if you're hinging your bets on the Cleveland Browns to make the playoffs or for Baker Mayfield to be successful, I advise you now to drop that stock because it looks like that it's going down the drain and it's going to go down the drain early. Baltimore picked up where they left off from last year in the regular season. Lamar Jackson doing Lamar Jackson things, three touchdowns in this game, and this game was never close. It was close before the it was close before kickoff when it was 0-0, but the Ravens made sure that they got revenge from Cleveland when Cleveland came into Baltimore last year and Nick Chubb went nuts on the ground. They didn't allow that to happen on Sunday as they beat the breaks off of the Cleveland Browns. And you have to ask yourself, you have a new coach, you have a wide receiver who at one point was considered one of the best, if not the best receivers in the league in Odell Beckham Jr., who is, you can tell, upset about not getting the ball. Is he going to implode at some point before the season is out? Is Baker Mayfield even going to be able to hold on to his job for the entirety of this season? Hey, man, you're doing a great job on those Hulu and Progressive commercials. You're not doing the same thing on the field. Become a football player and less of a advertiser. Get in the lab and get your game up. Baltimore, 1-0 in the AFC North. We go to Cincinnati in the debut of the number one pick, Joe Burrow at quarterback against the L.A. Chargers and Tyrod Taylor. Folks, for all of you who thought that Joe Burrow could not be that guy, don't look now, but I think that Cincinnati, I know it was game one, but I think Cincinnati may have hit a home run with the selection of Joe Burrow. He looked real calm and cool, as we used to call Joe Montana, Joe Cool. Joe Burrow could be Joe Cool number two. They had an opportunity to win this game. The kicker let them down. It wasn't Joe Burrow. It was the kicker that let them down in this game. The Chargers, they looked a little shaky on offense. Their defense made enough plays. We know they were without the services of their all-pro safety, Derwin James. They're going to have to figure it out on offense, folks. Running back by committee. The um, young running back from UCLA, Joshua Kelly, looked good. I don't know if he's going to take over or get more carries this week from Austin Eckler, but they're going to have to get their offense because their defense is going to show up. They need help from the offense in order to be able to sustain drives and stay on the field so that defense won't get worn out. I like what I saw from Cincinnati. We saw the return of A.J. Green. That's only a, that's only going to help the development of a young quarterback like Joe Burrow. Joe Mixon in the backfield is also going to help his development. But I think Cincinnati hit a home run. We're going to watch the development of this young quarterback this season. But I think Cincinnati hit a home run with Joe Burrow. Unfortunately, he was not able to get a win in his first game out as a starter. And then, folks, what was supposed to be the game of the day. TB12 or Tom Brady and the new Tampa Bay Buccaneers were going down to the Bayou in New Orleans against Drew Brees and the Saints. Continuity means everything in the season of 2020 with this pandemic, with the lack of practices, with the lack of OTAs, with the lack of preseason games. Continuity is what's going to win out early on in this season. And it showed in this game with Tampa and New Orleans. Tom Brady came out, got an early touchdown, and then it all went downhill from there. 
He threw a pick six, he threw another interception midway through the game. And New Orleans took advantage of all those opportunities. And Drew Brees and his newly signed running back, Alvin Kamara, looked like they were in rare form as they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. The only thing coming out of this game, though, not everything was smelling up roses, as we have just learned that all-pro wide receiver Michael Thomas may have to miss a few games with a high ankle sprain. So we're going to have to keep an eye on that. But New Orleans did get game number one at home against a conference rival, and they beat the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I don't think you should be pushing the panic button yet. Like I said, it's all about continuity. Tampa Bay, I think, will be fine. Tom Brady will be fine. But we're going to have to keep an eye on the relationship between Tom Brady and Coach Bruce Arians as Bruce Arians called Tom Brady out after this game which I think is a little early to do considering it was only game one. And Coach Arians knows, just like everybody else in the league knows, that this is a different year. And with not having the training camp in the preseason games, although he may look one way in practice, real live action, you know, defenses are going to show you something totally different. Even someone like Tom Brady, who is the GOAT and has the experience, He's going to get thrown a curveball every now and then. So I think Bruce Arians needs to pump the brakes just a little bit. And let's see what happens going into week two when they take on Carolina on Sunday. We go to the West Coast and the San Francisco 49ers, the defending champions of the NFC West and the Super Bowl representative last year, were hosting the young upstart Arizona Cardinals, Kyler Murray. He has a new toy. Christmas came early in the desert as one DeAndre Hopkins made his Sunday debut and he did not disappoint. I bet you right now Deshaun Watson is somewhere sitting in his car crying because he knows the talent and the ability of DeAndre Hopkins and he saw it on full display on Sunday as D-Hop 14 grabs and he was the catalyst to this Arizona offense and he is the reason along with that young Sensational quarterback Kyler Murray, they were able to go to San Francisco and get a big win on the road. Jimmy Garoppolo did not look good in this game, folks. He looked a little tentative in the pocket. Part of that could be because he lost his best weapon, George Kittle, with tight end with a knee injury early. Kittle came back, but he didn't look like himself. They were without outside threats and without them having wide receivers to stretch the field. Arizona kind of stacked the line against that running game. But Kyler Murray is a problem with his feet, folks. If you have a quarterback that is as agile and as athletic as he is, and with that baseball background, he is such a smart player. He gets in the open field. He's not taking any hits. He knows he's only about 5'8". He's not taking any hits from these big linebackers and defensive linemen. He's going to slide or step out of bounds. And that's what caused havoc against that potent San Francisco defense all day long was Kyler Murray and his athleticism. So Arizona, big win on the road against San Francisco. San Francisco, they're going to have to try to find some help on offense, especially at the receiver spot, because like I said, Jimmy Garoppolo did not look good. He did not look comfortable on Sunday. We go to Sunday night and the christening of SoFi Stadium in LA as the LA Rams were taking on the Dallas Cowboys and new kid coach Mike McCarthy christening SoFi Stadium. Folks, $5 billion. Let me say that again. $5 billion is what the purchase price was to have this stadium built. You're talking about state-of-the-art. Wait till fans are able to go into the stadium, folks. I was in awe. I'm a Cowboy fan, and I thought Jury's World, I've been to Jury's World, and I thought Jury World was the stadium of all stadiums. But just looking at that SoFi Stadium on TV, I can't wait to have an opportunity to go check out the stadium, folks. It was immaculate. And with that being said, the Rams offensively, they looked like they were the 
fastest show on turf once again or the greatest show on turf. I said fastest because they were so quick at every position on Sunday night. They out-schemed Dallas defensively. They out-schemed Dallas's defense with screens and play action and reverses. This new look Dallas defense looked confused, looked like a chicken with his head cut off trying to figure out who had the ball, trying to figure out who Jared Goff was going to. Robert Woods looked like the second coming of Isaac Bruce early in this game. They just dominated. And Dallas was lucky that this game was even close at halftime for the mere fact that the Cowboys even had a lead at the half. I was in shock because of how the Rams looked offensively. Then defensively for the Rams, we told you they had two of the best players at their position in the league on the other side of the ball. Aaron Donald, hands down, best defensive player in the league. And then Jalen Ramsey, one of the top corners in the league. Aaron Donald was a menace across that line. Dallas playing a rookie, undrafted rookie at right tackle. He didn't play bad, but Aaron Donald treated him. They treated all pro right guard Zach Martin like rag dolls. He was just beating them to the punch, knocking them back into Dak Prescott. Now, Dak looked good in the first half. Pardon me, folks. Second half was a different story. Zeke looked like he is on a mission. You can see the quickness was back. You can see the agility and the strength was back. Those are the things we didn't see from him last year when he held out down in Cabo. It looks like that he is on a mission this year to prove that he is still one of the top backs, if not the top back in the NFL. But Zeke's wasn't enough. And everybody will go to the play at the end of the game with Michael Gallup and Jalen Ramsey on the questionable offensive pass interference call. I didn't believe that it was an OPI. And that's not, and I'm not saying it because I'm a Cowboy fan. I'm saying it as a football fan, I've seen worse. I've seen where you could clearly see that a receiver pushed off. In this case, I thought it was more the defender and the receiver were in, in hand-to-hand combat. Jalen Ramsey had his hand on Michael Gallup's shoulder pad. Michael Gallup was trying to remove his hand and fight him off. That was not the reason why he had a yard or two on Jalen Ramsey. He had that because he just ran a great route and Dak threw a great pass. He threw it in the bucket. And that should have put Dallas in a position to kick a field goal that could have possibly tied the game and sent it to overtime or potentially Dallas still may have had a chance to win this game. But I'm not going to cry about that because of the fact that Dallas was lucky to even be in that position, considering how bad they played defensively and considering all the weapons that they had offensively, they looked vanilla. For a second there, I thought I saw the ghost of Jason Garrett on the sidelines clapping because this offense looked bland. Now, for all the hype that we got going into training camp about C.D. Lamb and this offense with three potential receivers that could get 1,000 yards, I didn't see any of that. Amari Cooper looked good, but I didn't see where they moved the receivers around. I didn't see where they were running any screens. That's one thing about Dallas. They don't do a lot of screening, and it's something they need to add to their repertoire with the backs that they have like Tony Pollard and with Zeke. Two really good pass receiving running backs. They need to get them involved and have both of them in the game so they can be a dual threat. I didn't see that. And I'm hoping that when they come home for the home opener this week against Atlanta, that we see more offensive firepower. Because it's you're wasting the talents of these receivers if you're not going to utilize them in the right way. Mike McCarthy made him a questionable call in my far as I was concern fourth and three in the fourth quarter you had a chance to kick a field goal to tie the game up you decide to go for it I mean I understand being aggressive but your defense really had not stopped them all night long 
They stopped him in the red zone, but part of that was the Rams stopped themselves too. So I'm thinking to myself, get points when you can get points. And if your defense can make a stop, then that puts you in the opportunity to try to get, retake the lead if your defense can make a stop. But you're right there for what I consider to be chip shot points from your kicker, Greg Zerline, and you give it away. I'm just hoping that they're going to take this film, look at it, and then burn it. The other negative thing that comes out of this game for Dallas is that major injuries, both offensively and defensively. Leighton Vander Esch, the middle linebacker, who we thought coming into this season, after having offseason neck surgery, was going to be okay and be the leader on defense. He's now out six to eight weeks with a broken collarbone. Then Blake Jarwin, who Dallas signed to be the replacement for one Jason Witten in the offseason, he's out for the entire year, torn ACL, non-contact. Cam Irving, who they picked up as a swing tackle, he's out with an MCL injury. Folks, guys were going down with a rash of injuries across the National Football League, and we know part of the reason is because you didn't have full camps. A lot of teams didn't have contact in these camps. So I'm not surprised by some of the injuries. I'm just surprised at the number of injuries that happened over this first weekend. Just hoping there's going to be enough bodies for these teams to have enough players to go through a 16-week season. But Dallas takes an L in week number one. And like I said, they better be ready in week number two because Atlanta's coming to town and Atlanta's coming off a loss. So both teams are going to need to get a big win this coming weekend. We go to Monday night and the Pittsburgh Steelers see the return of their offensive captain and quarterback, one Ben Roslesberg, returning from that elbow surgery, facing the new look New York Giants, led by a new coach, Coach Judge from New England and offensive coordinator, the clapper himself, Jason Garrett, the Giants, Daniel Jones had some good moments in this game, but he had some terrible moments as well as he threw a couple of picks at very inopportune times for the Giants, especially when you're in the red zone and have a chance to make a big splash you turn the ball over. You're in the red zone after a big turnover in the first quarter and you come out of that with three points. You can't do that against a quality team like the Steelers and the way the Steelers play defense. Saquon Barkley, they had him in a bag, folks. That defense was swarming. The Giants' offensive line was terrible. We know Pittsburgh has one of the best defenses in the league and now with the return of Big Ben, you saw a revive offense led by Juju on the outside and James Conner got banged up in this game again but you saw Benny Snell Jr. run the ball really hard and effective for the Steelers so I think they will not skip a beat. Steelers get a big win on the road week one and Steelers Nation has to be happy to see the return of their quarterback healthy. And then to close out week one on Monday night, we had the Tennessee Titans and Dirk Henry going up to mile high to the Denver Broncos. Denver, we told you early on, they were going to be without the services of all-pro future Hall of Famer Von Miller. And we didn't know if you would see Bradley Chubb, but we did see Bradley Chubb. You saw split backfield between Melvin Gordon and... Mr. Lindsay at running back, and we saw what looks like could be their future quarterback in Drew Locke. Denver didn't play well and didn't didn't play bad in this game. They just didn't play well enough at the end in order to get a home victory. Going back to last year, I think this made the fourth or fifth game that they lost by less than three points at home. Incredible, folks. 
Vic Fagio's defense played very well. A lot of hard hits in this game. You saw young rookie wide receiver Jerry Judy make a couple of plays. We also saw him drop a couple of passes. They were out the services of Cortland Sutton, their big wide receiver. He was out with a shoulder injury. But on the other side of the ball, you saw Javion Clowney on defense for the Tennessee Titans, game one. You saw Derrick Henry and Ryan Tannehill, folks, just picked up where he left off at last year. Big drive towards the end of this game to set him up in field goal range. Their field goal kicker almost cost them this game, but they were able to overcome his pitfalls and Ryan Tannehill got him in field goal position one more time at the end. And the field goal kicker, Goskowski, formerly of the New England Patriots, was able to bang one through from 40 yards out. And that was the deciding points of the game. 16-14 is your winner for Tennessee. Once again, folks, like I said, big weekend. We're talking about football. College football, we had some games this weekend. I don't know if you turned in and saw Notre Dame. They've got a nice young defense. I think the SEC starts play next weekend or maybe this weekend. I'm not sure. I don't know if it's this weekend the SEC will start up or if it's next weekend. But football is back, folks. I don't know if we were going to be able to say that early on in this year because we just didn't know how the climate was going to be with this pandemic. But we're going to keep our fingers crossed that everything remains status quo and that we have football for the entirety of the season. So I just want to say thank you for tuning in to Uptempo Sports. We hope that you enjoy the playoff games tonight, the Eastern Conference, like we told you. We'll have Miami and Boston. And then the Western Conference will have the game number seven between the Denver Nuggets and the L.A. Clippers, winner to face the Los Angeles Lakers for the Western Conference Finals, which begins Friday night. And as we always do before we part, it's always what, folks? Same bat time, same bat channel. Thank you for tuning in. Until the next, peace.